Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for just allowing us to do what we do. You allow us to partner with you in your work. And what a privilege that is. What a blessing that is. And Father, I do thank you for the growth um, that has been demonstrated in our lives. And, and Lord, we still have some room to grow as we see in the scriptures. There's still some room, Lord. And so um, I'm willing, I can speak for myself, I'm willing to continue to grow and be more like Jesus. That's what I desire. And I believe that there's many others who are listening and who are in attendance tonight who want to be more like Christ as well. Because we know that's your will for us, according to Romans chapter 8, that that we're predestined to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus. And so, Father, we look forward to that. And not just in the way we think, speak, and behave, but also in the fact that we'll one day receive glorified bodies. And so we thank you for your plan for us. And I do pray for the gift of teaching that you would equip me to rightly divide your word of truth and that all of our hearts will be open and receptive to your word and to the work you desire to do in and through us. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so in chapter 18, uh, the Lord and two angels in the form of three men, they met with Abraham in a place called Hebron. And the Lord told him that Sarah was going to have a baby named Isaac. And so these two angels who were with the Lord and also with Abraham, uh, the scriptures tell us that they went ahead to Sodom while Abraham stayed and he talked to the Lord. Now the Lord told them in that conversation about the judgment that was coming or going to come against Sodom and Gomorrah. And after hearing that, Abraham interceded on behalf of the righteous. And so during that intercessory time, as Abraham conversed with the Lord and you can almost see it as a prayer on on behalf of others, intercessory prayer, uh, we saw that the Lord made it be known that he would not destroy the righteous with the wicked. In fact, God said that he would even spare the entire city, even if there were 10 righteous people. And so that brings us to chapter 19 in the book of Genesis. And as we look at verses 1 through 3, it tells us that the two angels or these two messengers, again, in the form of men, uh, they came to Sodom in the evening. And it says that Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Hear now, my lords, or sirs, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square, or the city's public square, And so Lot, it says in verse 3, he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. 
Then Lot, it says, made them a feast, and he baked unleavened bread, or bread without yeast, and, and they ate. And so these two angels who came to Sodom are, of course, these two men now, of course, identified as angels who went ahead in chapter 18 while Abraham continued to talk to the Lord. And so by reminder, as he talked to the Lord, who was in human form, which we call a Christophany and pre-incarnate Old Testament appearance of Jesus, as, as he talked to the Lord, these angels, they went ahead. So, in fact, they traveled 50 miles from Hebron to Sodom. And so now they hear, we see what's happening, and now we, we, we see that one of the things that, 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 they, um, that they saw was Lot sitting at the gate of Sodom. And so here we see that Lot is fully planted in this place, this wicked city. And because he's sitting in the gate of Sodom, it would appear that he has this position of authority. Because the gate was the administrative center of the city. This was the main place of commerce. It was the main place of legal business. In fact, the the city's elders, they would hold court there. And you can kind of see that in Ruth chapter 4. If you read that chapter, you can kind of see the business being held there. And so this is where official business took place at the gate. and, And Lot is there. The angels saw him there. He greeted them. He was respectful uh, to these angels as they approach. And so one thing we see, and I mentioned this maybe in a couple of uh, previous studies, uh, that in Genesis 13, verse 12, we saw this righteous man, Lot. And yes, he's called righteous in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. But, but you saw that he set up his tent at first near Sodom. And then according to Genesis 14, 12, Lot is now living in Sodom. So he, he went from living near it or pitching his tent near it to now living in it. And now in this chapter, chapter 19, now we see him sitting in the gate. Now, in other words, he's in this leadership position in this sinful or wicked city. And so Spiritually, if we look at this and compare it to our spiritual walk with the Lord, um, we can see how dangerous this could be for a believer to inch closer and closer to that place of compromise. And so as believers, do not make this progression as a believer. This is a back. This is really not a progression, but this is more of a regression as you see him compromise more and more to the point where now he is a leader. So be careful of this drift. In verses 4 and 5 in Genesis 19, it says, Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, it says, that they surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. In other words, they wanted to know um, these two angels in the form of men intimately or to have sexual relations with them. And so here in these verses, we see the uh, depravity of these men 
who live in this wicked city of Sodom. We see, first of all, that homosexuality was rampant. And so it is here. And so, yes, we're going to talk about it. And one thing that takes place in the Old Testament in regards to homosexuality is that it is indeed condemned. And so, first of all, in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, the scriptures say, uh, you should not lie with the male as with the woman. It is an abomination. It is disgusting in the sight of God. This is God's word. This is in the sight of God. And we will be wise to agree with God in any matter. But also we see that it's not just in the Old Testament that is condemned, but but it's also condemned in the New Testament. Um, And this is just a couple of verses. There's more, but we don't need to read all of them because I believe you get the point. But in Romans 1 verses 26 and 27 It says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile or disgraceful passions. For what reason? That is, for the reason uh, of them exchanging the truth for a lie. How do I know that? Well, you need to read a little bit before uh, verse 26 here. But they exchanged the truth for the lie. They have the evidence that there is a God in heaven, that there is a true and a living God but they ignore it. They willingly exchange the truth for a lie. So, so God just gave them up to their disgraceful or vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. And of course, uh, what God created is that a, a biological man, a biological woman get together in marriage and there in that circle of biblical marriage, that that is where sex is permitted in the sight of God. That's the way he designed it. And so even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, they burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And so, yeah, we see more and more and hear more and more how people are living the homosexual lifestyle, um, LGBT and, and the rest of the letters and numbers after it. I don't, I don't even know them. They keep changing. But, uh, but we see people living the lifestyle and they are at least pretending to be happy. And, and many of them don't seem to be convicted. And I would say this, that if they don't feel convicted about this sin and if they seem to be or really think they're really happy about it and just have no regard for what the word of God says, then, then it doesn't mean that God approved of it. Uh, it could be that God said, okay, that's what you want to do. I'm going to turn you over so you can go ahead and do what it is you want to do. And so it's not God permitting it, but it's actually a form of judgment as we see in Romans chapter one. But, but then too, of course, this is something that God used Apostle Paul to write here in Romans 1. But then, by the way, Jesus, God the Son, he did not support same-sex relationships. And one objection that some people have who may disagree with what I'm saying, and it doesn't matter to me because this is God's word, but it says that but they will say that Jesus did not specifically address homosexuality if it were sinful. And they will say, why didn't he address it? Well, first of all, Jesus affirmed 
biblical marriage, and I just mentioned what that is earlier, which excluded anything outside of that. So by the fact that Jesus affirmed what biblical marriage is, God created the male and female, biological male, biological female, and they were to be together until death separates them. Since Jesus defined it and he agreed with that, then that would mean that anything else is excluded, including homosexual relationships. In fact, Matthew 19 verses 4 and 5 as a witness says, And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? So that's pretty simple. And and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That's simple. If people need to do spirit, you know, uh, gymnastics with the scriptures to to prove their point so they can fulfill their lust, then that's a sign right there. That that's the wrong interpretation. But then also Jesus mentioned fornication and the Greek word behind fornication is porneia. And fornication, by the way, is illicit sexual intercourse. That includes adultery, fornication, of course, that's sex outside of marriage. It includes homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals, you name it. And this is where he said it. Matthew 15, verses 19 through 20, he says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications. Remember, the Greek word behind that is porneia, and it includes all of those things I mentioned. Thefts, false witness, blasphemies, these are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. And so Jesus covered it here, and so that this would be like a broad category. And so everything under it, of course, uh, would, would apply to this, what Jesus says. And so, so, yes, it's technically true that Jesus did not specifically use the word homosexuality in the gospel accounts. But notice this. He also did not specifically mention sex trafficking, but we know it's a sin. So just because he didn't specifically mention sex trafficking, does that mean that it's okay to do it? Just because he didn't specifically mention rape, does that mean it's okay to do it? No, all of that falls under fornications and and obviously not loving our neighbor. And so don't allow people to do these gymnastics with the word of God. If they have to do that once again, that that means that they know they're on the wrong track. But then get this about Jesus. Jesus did not disagree with the Old Testament. Because what some people forget is that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament. He's the Son of God. And so do you think that the Holy Spirit, do you think that Jesus is going to disagree with the Father in regard to anything that is written in the Old Testament? In fact, Jesus affirmed the Old Testament by quoting from it. And as a matter of fact, to add to that, Jesus says that he didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. And so there's other arguments they use. And so the lesson is not totally about that. Maybe we need to do an apologetic session on that. But I just wanted to touch on a few points that we hear. But of course, homosexuality is just one of the sins that Sodom and Gomorrah were judged for. 
And so there are some people, by the way, who, who tell us, well, they, they really weren't judged for that. They were, they were judged because they were not hospitable. That, that's what some people say who want to support the fact that, that homosexuality is okay. They want to support that, that point. And it's false, of course. But, but for those who say, well, they really weren't judged for, for that sin. They were, they were only judged because they weren't hospitable. Well, they're going to have a problem with Jude, verse 7. And Jude only has one chapter, so I just have the 7 there for the verse. But it, look at what it says. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality... And gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Under sexual immorality is adultery, is fornication, will be uh, rape, will be lesbianism, will be homosexuality. All of that falls under sexual immorality. And so the scripture here tells us that this was a reason they were judged. And so some people, they're just willingly blind in order to uh, please their flesh. But get this, they were also judged for other sins than homosexuality. So there were additional sins as well. So I do need to point that out. In Ezekiel 16, verses 49 and 50. Now, this is God, by the way, just to give a little context. This is God speaking to Jerusalem regarding its sins and regarding their spiritual adultery. And so God says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride. So that's another sin, not just homosexuality, but pride, fullness of food or, or gluttony maybe, and an abundance of idleness, laziness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. So there was no love for the neighbor. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. So this was indeed a wicked city. And yes, homosexuality was one of the sins they were judged for. So don't allow the world or even some uh, false teachers, false prophets, politicians lie to you. The word of God says what it says. The word of God is true. And by the way, if you didn't know, and I believe you do know, God does love the sinner. If it were not so, none of us would be here. None of us would have had the opportunity to call on Jesus. So maybe this wasn't our particular sin that we struggled with or, or that, that we participated in, uh, but we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so this is not about uh, bashing one's sin. This is about uh, speaking the truth. This is about going through the scriptures and agreeing with God and what he says in the scriptures. In verses 6 through 8, Genesis 19, it says, So Lot went out to them through the doorway. He shut the door behind him. And he said, Please, my brethren. And he's calling the, these wicked men in Sodom, my brethren. Do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. They, they haven't had any uh, sexual relations with the man. So please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow or shade of my roof. And so here we see Lot trying to solve one sinful problem with another sinful problem. 
in that sinful way that he's trying to solve this issue of these men wanting to rape um, these uh, angels in the form of men is by giving his virgin daughters to them and saying, hey, you have them, you can do whatever you want, but, but leave my guest alone. And so, yes, there was a high priority on hospitality, but to this point, yeah, that, that's just going too far. And so what we see here is that Lot, who at first set up his tent near the city of Sodom, then living in the city, now becoming a a leader in in Sodom by sitting in the gate. What we see here is the fact that he bought in to the depravity of that city. Because we see that, and we see that in his suggestion of these men to take his two daughters and do whatever they wanted with them. And they said in verse 9, stand back. Then they said, this one, speaking of Lot, this guy here, he, he came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and they came near to break down the door. So they're like, look at this guy. He, he came in here as a stranger and, and now he, he, he wants to make decisions for us and, and, and tell us what's right and wrong. But the men in verse 10, speaking of these angels, they reached out their hands and they pulled a lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were in the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. And so the angels had to step in and they had to help a lot. And notice that they struck these men, these, these men that were trying to rape them, they struck them with blindness. Now this blindness... Um, it, it did not um, leave the victim sightless, but it was the blindness of confusion. And, and the fact that they had to step in and help a lot just reminds me of the fact of what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Because there it tells us that angels are ministering spirits for believers. And I'll read the verse. It says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? That's speaking of believers. And so who knows how many times the angels that are assigned to us have stepped in and helped us. We may not even know. Maybe one day we'll know in eternity. But here we see them fulfilling this role of ministering spirits. In verses 12 through 14, Genesis 19, it says, Then the men, or these angels, they said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever else you have in the city? Get them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out, and he spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. And so it appears that Lot could have had other daughters who were married, hence the term sons-in-law, in addition to those two virgin daughters that he had in that house that he offered to these wicked men. Uh, also, as you see in the scriptures here, verses 12 through 14, it, it is possible that he, also, that he had sons. And so um, as we continue to read the scriptures, we're going to see that 
um, the only ones who are brought out of the city are Lot, his wife, and the two virgin daughters. Um, but I do want to let you know that, that there are some Bible versions that do seem to suggest that uh, the sons-in-law were betrothed to the two daughters that were with Lot. And so that's another view in regards to how many children or how many were in the family of Lot. But, but here's the thing, because there were not 10 righteous people, remember that inter, intercessory prayer or discussion, you can call it, that Abraham made with the Lord or had with the Lord where, where he asked, well, what if there's 10 people? Will you destroy the city? 10 righteous people, would you destroy the city? And the Lord said, no. And so obviously the Lord is about to destroy the city. So that means that there were not 10 righteous people. Sad commentary of what's going on in that city. But notice that as Lot wanted his sons-in-law to, and, and, and his daughters to, to leave this uh, place, to leave Sodom, notice that they uh, just thought that, that he was joking. And that's a sad commentary when it comes to, to Lot. Because maybe he was living a life that maybe was a compromised life. But, but that's like some family members today. Maybe we're not living a life that is compromised and it's not compromised by, by sinning. But yet and still we share things with them that, that the Lord is coming back soon. Or we share something for the scriptures that, that, that let them know that without Jesus, then mankind will go to hell. And maybe they don't take us seriously, just like his sons-in-law didn't take a lot seriously. Maybe there's some family members who just think that, hey, Christianity is just a fad for you. It's, it's good for you, but not for me. Maybe you have family members like that. And to be honest, for, for some family members... Maybe it is because they do see some compromise in their believing family member's life. Maybe it's that. And if that's the case, I would suggest that the believer repent and get right in their fellowship with the Lord. But like I said, to some family members, to others, to them, they would say, well, the, the Bible's just a fairy tale just written by, by men. And you do have some like that. Well, continue to pray for them. Continue to pray for opportunities, open doors to share the gospel with them. But I know that many of us have family members who would mock us and laugh at us as we share the word of God with them, especially as we see what's going on during this time. And we're trying to warn people that Jesus is coming soon. You don't want to be left behind. It's going to be the worst time in human history, on the history of this earth, during that seven-year tribulation period. You don't want to be here. And even if you die before then without Jesus, there is a place called hell. And yet and still, they may mock you. But keep praying for them. Genesis 19, verses 15 through 22, it says, When the morning dawned, the angels, they urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters, these two virgin daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered or delayed, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to them. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. 
So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain or the valley. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, said to these angels, please no, or in other words, not that place, not, not the mountains. Not that place, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight and you have increased your mercy or your loving kindness, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil or disaster overtake me and I die. See now, or, or look at here, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. Shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. And so we see that Lot lingered instead of rushing out of Sodom. You know, that doesn't seem like a logical thing to do. You, you know judgment is coming, but yet you're lingering. And it could be that he's lingering, maybe seeing who else is going to come. If there's anybody else from his family, any friends who are going to come. Or maybe he was concerned about what he was leaving behind because, remember, he was wealthy. He was wealthy to the point where he and, and, and Abraham had to, they had to split because the, the land just couldn't take all the, the flocks that they both had. It just wasn't enough room and their herdsmen were just fighting each other. So he was a wealthy man. So maybe he was concerned about what he was leaving behind. But no matter the reason, the God's messengers, those angels, they, they urged him to leave quickly. And it's like this with some believers, with, with some of us. Some of us have a delayed response when, when deliverance or maybe a way out is made available to them or to us out, out of a temptation. Because the scriptures tell us that with every temptation, God makes a way out. But, but some of us, we linger behind. The way is there, but we linger behind. And we miss that deliverance or way out that God has for us. And so believers can have this mindset that Lot had. Maybe some believers have a delayed response when it comes to being delivered from some type of struggle. So not just from a temptation, but maybe they're, they're, in, they're actually caught up in some type of sin. Maybe it's alcohol or maybe it's pornography or, or maybe it's something else, whatever it may be. But it's definitely not good for your walk. But yet and still some believers linger there. And we really don't have to linger there. But then, of course, in regard to unbelievers or people who have not yet repented and put their trust in Christ, there's many right now who are delaying their response to receive Jesus. Although Jesus is, is available to them, just repent, have that change of mind and put your trust in Christ. But yet and still, yet and still, there's this delay there's this delay to not be delivered from the penalty of sin, which is eternal death, eternal separation from God. But also we see that there were some concessions that were made for Lot. Because Lot, he, he didn't want to 
He didn't want to go to the mountains where the angels told him to go. But they made concessions or allowances for him to stay in Zoar. And Zoar, by the way, was previously known as uh, Bila. And so they made these concessions for him. So can you imagine that? This is an emergency. He needs to get out of there or he's going to be consumed with the rest of the city. But yet and still, he's asking for some comforts. And, and, and the sad thing was his, his reasoning was based on the fear of something bad happening to him. I can't go to the mountain. Something bad is going to happen. I'm going to die there. But, but God wasn't going to bring him out just to allow something bad to happen to him. That, that would have been a waste of deliverance. But many of us have that mindset as well. Yes, we're saved. We placed our trust in Jesus for salvation. But then we get to a point in life where we have some type of challenge and we believe that, oh, God is going to abandon me or he has abandoned me. He's forsaken me, which is totally different than what it says in the word of God. So believer, would you, what, would you think that God who delivered us would really abandon us in the middle of the salvation process? God is not going to do that. He's going to complete that work that he has begun in us, according to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He's not going to abandon us in the middle of the salvation process. But I like here that the point is being made that God makes sure that his people are not judged with sinners. You need to come out of there a lot, you and your folks, unless, unless you're going to be judged here. That you're going to experience what they experience. In fact, hurry up, escape, because I can't do anything until you arrive there. So God makes sure his people are not judged with the sinners, those who have not yet placed their trust in Christ. You see that the righteous are removed, the righteous are delivered. In fact, we know that God would even, he would have even spared the city if there were just 10 righteous there. Now, like what it says in Psalm 145, 20, it says, The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And so I truly believe that. And I don't believe that God has changed his nature or, or character. The Bible said that he changes not. He always removes or delivers the righteous and not allow them to suffer judgment along with the unbelievers. And so I do believe he'll continue that pattern when it comes to the rapture. And so, yes, once again, I mentioned this before. So, yes, I, I do believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. Because Jesus is not going to beat his bride. The wrath of the lamb, the wrath of God has taken place. During the tribulation period, God is not going to beat his bride. He's not a wife beater. The church is his bride. He took the wrath for us on the cross. Verses 23 through 26, the sun has, had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. It means little. Then the Lord rained brimstone or burning sulfur and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, 
all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him or she looked back as she was following behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And so Sodom, Gomorrah and the, and the other cities of the plain, they got destroyed through the Lord's judgment. And the other cities of the plain also included Adma and Zoboam. And some scholars suggest that God used the volcanic upheaval to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And they believe that when that happened, that the salt beds were blown into the air. And that is what possibly fell upon Lot's wife. And then other Bible scholars think that the brimstone and fire could have come from a meteorite shower. And so there's a lot of interesting takes on this, on how it exactly looked, but we know that it happened. But one thing I want to share with you is that many archaeologists believe that these cities' remains are now under the waters of the Dead Sea. But now regarding Lot's wife who looked back, it says that she became a pillar of salt. And a pillar, by the way, is something that's stationary, perhaps like a statue. And so she could have been covered in the salt that rained down with the brimstone or, or, or maybe her remains were dusted with a coating of salt later. But another suggestion is that she was buried by volcanic ash and, and other materials and that her body became petrified. I don't know if you know about what happened to the people of Pompeii when they were buried by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius, but some believe something like that could have happened and she became petrified and maybe coated with salt. But whatever the case is, it says that she became a pillar of salt. She became something stationary. She's covered in salt. She looked back. In verse 27, Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord and where he was making that intercession. And then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain or the Jordan Valley. And he saw and behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. He saw the judgment take place. It came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham. God remembered that conversation with him. And he sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow or the upheaval when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. And so according to 2 Peter 2 verse 6, Sodom and Gomorrah would serve as an example to those who would afterward live ungodly. And so there is judgment waiting for ungodly societies, ungodly cities, countries, and hopefully they'll pay attention, in other words, to this example of what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. So God is so righteous. He's so merciful and and gracious that he will leave this example in here for nations to pay attention to, to, for people individually to pay attention to. So they can see that a judgment is coming for those who live ungodly, those who reject God, a relationship with him. But one thing I like and I kind of touched on it, but I want to dig into it just a little bit more, but not too long, is that God remembered his conversation that he had with Abraham in chapter 18. He remembered that 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 time when, when Abraham interceded for Lot and the righteous in the city of Sodom. And that just goes to show that, that, that there could be a major impact 
we can have through intercessory prayer for others. And so don't doubt the fact that God can use our prayers to help other people. Don't think that you're wasting your time when you're praying for other people, when you are committed to intercessory prayer. In fact, many of us have been blessed because some people interceded for us. They went to the Lord for us. Some of our lives have been spared because of somebody praying for us. Some of us have had opportunities to come to the Lord and we don't know exactly how it worked. But all we know is that that person was at the right place at the right time. And they said the right thing and shared the right scriptures with us when we were in the right state of mind, just open to receiving the gospel. And and could it be that somebody was interceding for us? So never underestimate the fact that God sometimes wills to use intercessory prayer to bless others. And there are some things, by the way, that he's going to do, whether somebody prays or not. And in verse 30, it says, Then Lot went up out of Zoar, and he dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him. For he was afraid to dwell in Zoar, and he and his two daughters dwelt in the cave. So, so remember that he was afraid to escape to the mountains at first, and they allowed him to go to this little city of Zoar, And so now, verse 30, he ends up in the place that the angels told him to go to in the first place. And so he ends up in this cave. And in the Dead Sea region, there are many caves in the nearby mountains. And so this is not unusual that they would end up in a cave. But notice he finally ended up where he was supposed to be in the first place. And for some of us, it's it's like that. For some of us, we take longer to get where God wants us to be. But praise God, we get there. But my prayer is that we stop delaying. In verses 31 through 36, it says, Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come in to us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. And so they made their father drink wine that night and the firstborn went in and he and, and, ha, and had sexual relations with her father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And it happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger and indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. And you go in and lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then verse 35, they made their father drink wine that night also and the Younger arose and lay with him and did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. So at that time, by the way, no, the law wasn't written with states that this type of relationship, this incest is not allowed, but it's still sin. This is not a a right situation here. But they thought they were doing something right. They, They thought that nobody would want to marry them or and in that marriage, they, they, they thought they wouldn't have children. And also they thought that um, their father's name would die out. So they wanted to keep that lineage alive. And so they would go on to have relations with their father and got pregnant. We see the depravity. But what you see here is the dangers of getting drunk, being under the influence of anything other than God. Because Lot got drunk and They got him drunk and this happened. And so what happens when we're under the influence of 
drugs and alcohols is that your moral and your spiritual guards are down. And the enemy just loves that. It's like you're inviting the enemy to the party because the temptation now is it's not going to be resisted as much or at all. So be careful with that. What we put into our bodies in verses 37 and 38, it says the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. And the interesting thing about that is, is that the Moabites and the Ammonites will become enemies of Israel. And so in the work of the flesh, this is a work of the flesh that they did trying to do things on their own. You see that it causes more harm than good. And so let that be a lesson for us to rely on the Holy Spirit, to ask the Lord for wisdom and guidance instead of doing things on our own. But, but the daughters of Lot felt the need to sleep with their father. This is what they felt, so that his name would not die out. Remember, that's why they did it, according to their thinking. But, but maybe they wouldn't have felt or thought that way if their mom had not looked back. Now, those, that, that phrase, look back, means to regard, show regard to, to pay attention to, consider. It means to look intently at. By implication, it means to regard with pleasure, favor, or care. So in other words, their mom looked back longingly or in a way that relates to the feeling of wanting someone or someone, something or something, something or someone very much. In tongue tied there. And so she looked back longingly. She wanted what was left behind. And this result of looking back longingly, by the way, for, from which you've been delivered from, it, it just won't be good. The results will not be good. We see that with Lot's wife because as she looked back longingly for, from which she has been delivered from, we see that she was turned into a pillar of salt. We also saw the children of Israel, if you fast forward to Numbers, you also saw when the children of Israel complained about the manna God gave them in the wilderness. You see them looking back to what they had in Egypt. God sent them quail and then he struck them dead while they were taking a bite out of the meat. The meat still in their mouths. All because they looked back to Egypt. But then get this, Jesus did not have flattering words for those who looked back after putting their hands to the gospel plow. Because he said, no one having put, in his, hand, having put his hand to the plow and looking back is useful for the kingdom of God. So this type of person who professes Christ, and sometimes a profession is just that. Not a true born-again experience, but, but this type of person is useless or ineffective in the work of God. And so the lesson is what he's saying here, in other words, is that it, it would be better if that person will have a full commitment to follow Jesus. But then he even gives a warning through his words about Lot's wife while he was telling his disciples some details about him coming back. In fact, he said these three words, remember Lot's wife. And then he goes on to say, 
Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. So the person who wants to hold on to that life they had with with them being at the center of their own lives, you're going to end up losing your life. You're going to die without a relationship with the Lord and end up separating him from him from for eternity in the place called hell and that eternal fire. Remember Lot's wife, Jesus said. You see, as believers, there is no need for us to look back at what we used to be or at what we had before Jesus. Why? Why is there no reason for us to look back longingly at that, to desire it? Because first of all, what we have in Jesus is way better. Second of all, the deliverance is better than the bondage. And third, what lies before us is much better, which is something our brother, the Apostle Paul, knew very well. Because in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or achieved it, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call or the high call of God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul was not claiming to have achieved or to have become all that God wanted him to become. He says, I have not reached my full potential in Christ of becoming more like Christ. I I still have some room to grow. He's saying that whatever he was saved for, I wanted to reach that. He wanted to reach it. And although he had not achieved all that God wanted him to do or all that God wanted him to become, what he did was he chose to uh, forget those things which are behind and he chose to, to reach forward to those things which are ahead. Or in other words, he chose to press on. In other words, he, he wanted to do all that God wanted him to do and become all that God wanted him to be. And he wasn't satisfied with where he was at that point. And so as a spiritual runner in a race, he pressed toward the goal. He pressed toward the finish line for this prize of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus. That is achieving what God had purpose in his life. He continued to press for that. But for us as believers, for us, we too are not to get stuck in the past. We are not to be affected by our past achievements, our past sins, our past failures, our past mistakes. We're not to get stuck in reminiscing about the past. Oh, I remember when I was with that person. I remember when I used to do those things and those things felt so good. It, it looked so good. It, it seemed so good. But, but instead of reminiscing on those things, instead of falling in love with the past and being affected by the past, we need to continue to stay focused on Jesus. We need to continue to press toward the goal for the prize of this upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, press, that word press figuratively speaks of one who in a race, in a race, they run swiftly to reach the goal. It means to pursue. So we are to run swiftly to pursue or to reach that goal of this upward call in Christ Jesus, that prize. And that is the prize. It's the upward or high call of God. 
And, and so this upward call of God is everything that we've been called to in Christ Jesus. It's also everything that comes with that call that we have in Christ Jesus. Whether it's salvation or conformity to Christ or spiritual blessings. Is that your desire? And so my question is, as we get ready to close and we're going to forego the last song. But my question is, where are you looking? And if you're looking back, I would encourage you to do not look back. But instead, I would encourage you to be like the songwriter. The songwriter of the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. And, and I'm just going to share just the abridged or the shortened version. Do not cover your ears because I'm not going to sing. Don't worry. But it says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And, and then the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning back. So there, there should be no turning back, whether physically or even in our minds or even in our hearts. We should not look longingly back to the past when we were caught up in sin, when we were caught up in those things that didn't please God, but continue to move forward in our walk. Continue to move forward in your life with Jesus and move forward with an attitude of humility. Move forward with an attitude of gratitude. Move forward with an attitude of determination and with the fully committed heart. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us, Father, to never compromise, to not look back at the past. Lord, all those things we've given up for you, you, Father, you are our treasure. May we always remember that. And if there's anyone who has not received Jesus, may you stir their hearts and draw them to you, Lord. Draw them to your son. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.